Hello and welcome to Fire Headlines, where we cover the hottest topics in fire service news. I'm your host, Samantha Didion, and today I am joined by the panel, Chief Bob Horton and Chief Jeff Buchanan. Our topic today is tiered response to emergency calls. A recent article shared in the Daily Dispatch announces Aurora Fire Rescue launching a new tiered response approach. This new approach allows the department to dispatch units based on the severity of the incident they're responding to. Bob, let's have you kick off the conversation today. In your experience, how does this approach help possibly improve response times? Sure, Samantha. Thank you. And it's good to be good to be around the table here. Uh, Jeff, good to see you again, as always. I'm glad we're highlighting this. This shouldn't be news, frankly. The, the idea of how we're processing information for credible intelligence and how we're deploying resources to solve problems, the fact that we still are anchored in broadly as a fire service. Now, Aurora's called out in this article for actually deviating away from this. And I want to celebrate that for a second. But we all should be doing this. Every agency in the in the fire service should be looking at their call experience, their risk in their community, and allocating resource deployment based on that risk to improve the outcomes. So we, we've got a system that we've been doing for decades, a century, where we generally have a one-size-fits-all solution in all hazards, advanced life support, you know, wazoo-type of deployment of resources, or we have these fixed response cards that say anytime there is smoke in a building, four engines, ladder trucks, battalion chiefs, multiple battalion chiefs, air fill resources, and you name the deployment based on your organization, but you have something that sends a lot of people really quickly with very little you know, information informing that decision. It's the default. We set that as the default. And so sophisticated organizations are starting to do what Aurora is being highlighted in this article about. They're utilizing the intelligence they have, the processing of information through their 911 center, through the system. They're gathering more information. Uh, High sophisticated systems are using camera technology that's available either nearby that may have they may have access to or from the person calling 911. You remember, Samantha, we entered, worked on a program in our community that allowed folks to share live stream video in through the 911 center to a, to an incident commander that informed if a, if a picture is worth a thousand words, what is a video worth? So if you have that information on the front end and it helps, quote, paint the picture quite literally about what type of call it is that you're going to, you can more accurately deploy resources. That's a higher degree of sophistication. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is a tiering of calls that come in the 911 center on whatever categories it is you think you can support. Emergency, non-emergent, advanced life support, basic life support, transport ambulance, uh, extrication teams, et cetera, like whatever these these resource interventions that you have. Tearing those out and utilizing the more appropriate resource for the call that it, that you need on, on a high degree of confidence of its predictability. We can debate that and we should as an industry. What what is accuracy look like in a call is most likely to be basic life support based on the input that's coming in from the 911 caller. Because we have a tendency to want to default high, always. 
maybe that's appropriate sometimes. I would argue it probably is. We won't have time in this particular episode to like go through call types one by one and say, yeah, this one's questionable. Like we're, we want to, we want to de- default up. But if you use medical priority dispatch system and you've got a 32 Bravo unknown, unknown problem, what's that mean in your system? The best response you can get the SWAT team of all responses, or is that we need someone to check scope this out and give us some better information. We can make better employment decisions. I think I want to punctuate that send the resources and we'll figure it out later as a model doesn't work. It shouldn't. It, it, it isn't. It's it's inefficient. We can't afford to continue to add more top level resources in our deployment bank, more fire stations, more all hazard emergency response ALS engines to handle rising call volume when the data and the evidence suggests that the rising call volume may most likely is having to do with some kind of sociological impact, some kind of social service related impact, high incidence of falls, low acuity medicals. I don't know what's going on in your community, but my guess is it's not emergent fires. Jeff, what what do you got? You know, Bob, uh, great to be here with all of you. As always, I love it. I love this conversation. So I had this mantra that I was saying uh, when I was at Las Vegas, actually, and that was I want us to be the best when the situation or the people are at their worst. I want to reduce the risk of the worst ever happening in the first place. And I want us to be professional while doing both because at the end of the day, Bob, you're spot on. We got precious allocated resources that are very limited and we have to be very frugal with them. So if everything is important, nothing is important. We have to prioritize. And I think what we're seeing here out of Aurora is that's what they're doing. They're prioritizing. They're providing this tiered response. They're saying what's most important. And they're saying, we want to be really, really good at that because at, at the end of the day, you, you know, there's this, this whole notion, jacks of all trades and masters of none. What are we trying to do for the community? And these are difficult questions to ask. Uh, and not judging any fire chief, you know, across the United States. It's very, very difficult. It's polarizing. You have your elected officials that that get involved. Obviously, they do that, and they can they can vary where your your vision is. But um, I'm getting a little bit off topic. Let me come back into the center where I think we are, and that is about prioritizing this voluminous amount of calls that come in for most agencies and saying, what are we going to be really good at? And how are we going to best serve the community? And how can we use data in a fashion that really is effective and not just in a way that we use it in a way that is superficial, inputs and outputs, Bob, you talk about this all the time. You know, how can we make it be more meaningful? And 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 that's where I love what Aurora is doing is they're making the data meaningful. They're getting down to the depths of what the information is telling them. And then they're making the appropriate changes. And it all sounds so easy to do, but it's not. And I just uh, I tip my cap to the Aurora Fire Department for making this bold move. And and I'm just hopeful that we're going to see more agencies follow suit. And it's unclear in the article, I'm not seeing where what they're deploying to calls. And it sounds like they're utilizing some kind of dispatching 
model that's going to now tease out low acuity from high acuity calls, which is appropriate. We have confidence in dispatching systems that provide us the information we need to be able to, with a degree of a tolerance of accuracy that your organization is willing to tolerate, 80%, maybe 75%. Listen, you're, you're relying on untrained experts to provide information through a dispatch center, 80%, 90%. Like if I had a 90% likelihood to win the lottery, I'd play. So I'm comfortable in the 90, you know, 80 to 90% confidence, uh, especially when you're sending resources that can intervene. Like we, we underutilize, we've talked about organizations on this show about how they're uh, complaining about a paramedic shortage. And I know my position, Jeff, I think yours is, is the same. Like this is an overutilization and over-reliance on paramedics problem. This is a demand problem, not a supply problem. We undervalue what we all learned when we started in EMS, which is BLS, uh, ALS intercept, strong, basic, basic life support before ALS. Like we, we seem to have gotten away that everyone needs a paramedic as part of the system. We're teasing this out in Aurora. It sounds like it sounds like we're tearing out between low acuity and high acuity. And I'm guessing they're doing it with good analytical precision and studying the impact and moving calls from high to low as they gain more experience under this new model. And they're not sending the fire engine, the highest train, highest capable resource apparatus for emergencies where their small emergencies become big emergencies. If you don't put out the fire quickly, it's gonna continue to spread, we get that. They're reducing the dependence on engines, which makes leaves their availability. The systems reliability, Samantha, is what the fire service calls that, is what's your ability in this circumstance to get this unit on scene in in a given time. If you have fire engines that are allocated to calls, like we've talked about prior, that makes them unavailable to be utilized for other calls. So what they're trying to do is reduce the demand on the fire engine so they can be ready for the calls uh, that will need a fire, uh, a fire response, that type of response. Because one fire engine getting to a fire quickly uh, is better than seven that can't get there very quickly at all if, if you're tracking where I'm where I'm going with that. This is, this is potentially controversial. I, I don't think it's controversial. I think anybody that spent time in a modern you know, fire organization would, would likely agree. 80% of the calls, 70%, you pick your number, but let's go 70 to 80% of the calls that come into the 911 system. If the fire service never showed up, it likely would not impact the outcome. Now that's hard to say, and it's certainly hard for a lot of people to hear. And it's absolutely not good public service. And you're certainly not meeting the expectations of your community. I'm talking about the outcome. I'm talking about would would the situation progressively get worse or exponentially get worse in the absence of all hazard, you know, advanced life support response. The majority of the calls that we're seeing in our system, and this differs by geography. So I don't, you know, get people spun up. You might have, you might be the outlier, but in general, we're, we're being overutilized for calls that, that we don't have a necessity to be at. And we really need to get that figured out. And there's a lot of ways to do it. Maybe we'll spend some time, some other time kind of going through where I think some of these ideas you know, really ought to be. But this is the start. The start is getting better information, turning that information into, into intelligence that's processed information so that we can make better decisions. We can make decisions in our dispatching environment. Trust our dispatchers to get you the information you need. Use the information that you have to make good deployment decisions, deploy the resources, study the the effect of that. 
And that way you can improve outcomes because of the 20 to 30 or whatever your number is percent where we do make a difference when we get there quick, we have to be the best at that. It's interesting. The fire service to me is kind of perplexing because we are one of the only models that just every call comes in, we, we, we assign it a resource and off they go in general. Most other response, field response type resources, including the law enforcement, I mean, simply don't do that. The amount of emergencies that law goes to, I mean, I mean, emergencies like lights and sirens responses is minimal against total total call request. It's not uncommon for law enforcement to hold the call and we're going to get to it when we get to it. I mean, there are a lot of calls. We could be doing that too. We just typically don't. Jeff, do you see it that same way? I mean, we typically don't. And what do you think? Why do you think we do that? First, let me get back to the law enforcement side of things. What they have the ability to do is to constantly reprioritize. They get a call that comes in, it goes into their queue. And then another call comes in with a higher level of urgency that becomes the priority. So they're constantly measuring risk versus the outcome, which I think is crucial to what the fire service should evolve to. You you often hear me on the on the show talking about my love for sports and, and that's not going to change. And one of the things they talk about for the value of a player is their greatest ability is availability. And that's the same thing for these limited resources. Their greatest ability to in order to respond, they have to be available. And if we continue to assign our most valuable resources on calls that more than likely we're not going to change the outcome to, then we keep missing opportunities to be our best when the situations are are at the worst. And that's why I think that this mindset change, you know, to get more in line with law enforcement is so is so crucial. And you're right. It is uh, it's it is controversial because when people call you uh, it, it, and I'm going to stop here for a second, I'm going to go back to 2003 when Bob, you and I were in paramedic school and we went through this training together and then they spit us out at the other end and and now we're out on calls. And I know that I wrote this down a bazillion times without embellishment. Just kidding. I don't know how many times I wrote it down. Poor historian. How many times did you write down poor historian? And for the listeners out there, that means a man, a woman, a child, someone who's relaying the story that is just not giving you the facts. They just are unable to tell you exactly what's going on. And that's what we see here. You know, Bob, what you're talking about, greater intelligence in the dispatch center, great information coming in, being more thoughtful when we assign our limited valuable resources to these calls is what is so important. It's more important now than it was because now we have a quote unquote, a staffing shortage that's never going to go away. And you're absolutely right. We are locked in. We are on the same page. We are completely aligned. It is an over-reliance on ALS, and we need to get back down to the basics and really lean into the data and put our limited resources on those calls that, that we need. And that means that we have to constantly reprioritize. We have to put the high-value incidents at the top and 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 we have to have the ability to do that or we're just going to we're just going to keep chasing our tail and you know and, and the last thing I'll say is I agree with you couldn't get down to the forensics of the 
in the finer details of what Aurora is doing, but it's continuing the conversation, deciphering and distinguishing between low acuity and high acuity and saying, yep, that one is more important. That's what we're here for. That's what we're going to make the most difference on and then concentrating there. So I just really like what Aurora is able to do as far as keeping the discussion alive and, and hopefully more are going to follow suit. I'd like to get into this week's listener question a little bit early in this episode because I think it pertains a lot to what we're talking to. So, Bob, in episode 29, charging for non-emergency services, you said that response time should not be the metric for success. If not response time, then what do you believe should be used to measure success of a fire department? Uh, thank you, Samantha, and to our listener who su submitted that question. Thank you for asking that question because I did say that. I did say that in that article, we were talking about common pool resources, which is exactly applicable to what we're talking about here. We're having an economic discussion about how units should be deployed and we're looking at supply and demand. And we currently, you talked to us, so we got to get the response time. Your response time. In fact, this article features that. This article talks about the outcome or at least an output of this program is designed to improve response time on fires. And I don't want to argue, I'm not going to argue with that. I don't think that's a bad outcome for this situation because what they're talking about is getting there fast when it makes a difference. And that is an, that, that's the important caveat to response time. It does not always make a difference in 100% of the calls that we get deployed to in emergency services that getting there quickly makes a difference in the outcome. So to the listener, to the, the, the answer to that question is, we need to be managing the risk in the community, managing the risk in the community and managing risk, lowering risk in our community is that's what we should be optimizing for. We need to do continuous risk assessments and in some communities, busy communities like Las Vegas, where Jeff worked, you, your risk changed daily. The risks you saw in your community changes daily based on the number of visitors who might be coming for a given event. The characteristics of an event that may be coming in. You remember the EDC when you're doing planning for EDC, Jeff? I mean, you're, that is high likelihood of drug overdoses. The risk to the community changes when the EDC comes to us to Las Vegas. Heat emergencies, weather specific. Your community has risk. That's variable on con on different conditions, sometimes time of day, sometimes day of week, sometimes seasonality, sometimes it's sporting events. It's all kinds of different uh, effects. We don't understand those risks as an industry as well as we should. Risk for the purpose of this conversation to define for our listeners, risk is the probability of an event, likelihood of an event times its impact. Because some experiences like hazardous materials, you might have some bad hazmat properties in your in your district, you probably do low probability of something happening. But if there is a chemical explosion, I was in Las Vegas when Pepcon, the jet fuel plant exploded. I was in the second grade when it, when it happened, but I remember it vividly, huge impact in the community, but the likelihood of something like that happening is very low, but that, that risk, that risk metric changes because its impact could be so great. Risk of death by a thousand cuts, which are these low acuity calls that are running down common pool resources, which is the tragedy, the commons we kind of talked about the other day, high probability of that happening. If you continue to deploy the same, your one trick pony response, your ALS engines to every single call that, that you go to, 
some communities I get it. Like I, I, I don't want to be dismissive of small communities because I worked in a small community where you have one response. That's it. Like you have one engine, one station. Like this is what we do. It's that's what goes. I mean, I get that. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking in the more medium to large, even the metro size organizations and how they're managing resources. You lower the probability of the impact of the fire by sending something other than the fire unit and leaving it available. That's what Aurora is doing. So that's a long-winded way. Managing the risk and how you understand your risk, doing a thorough risk assessment, establishing risk tolerance, and then building your standards of cover around managing risk. Now, what I have to be really clear about is that's not just responding to calls. Managing risk is not just it happens and we respond to it. It's lowering the likelihood that we will have that event and have to respond to it because we don't just have to accept call volume goes up. And I, it does bother me that we see a lot of fire chiefs who still do that. They still just, you know, calls are going up. I need more engines to go to that. Well, why are calls going up? Well, calls are going up because we have an aging in place population. Your demographic is aging in place. People are living longer. They're, they want to live at home. Like if you haven't assessed that in your community, I mean, that is impacting, you're having an impact on that because folks are getting older and having mobility issues and are falling in their home and they're utilizing 911, et cetera. Uh, we talked about the nursing homes was that other was that other call and how we're imposing private costs to try to resolve that. I mean, so this is an increase in demand. The, the probability of those uh, events are occurring. Impact, probably not high. I'm not talking about impact to that person. I'm talking about impact to your system to that you're managing. So your risk is going up. Manage that risk. Get in the home. Do home fall assessments. Uh, work with these uh, your community groups on installing grab rails and things that are preventing folks to fall. Understand your risk. Manage your risk through intervention, through risk reduction. Response should should occur to, to help lower that you know, like lower that risk after the fact because that will still happen. And we're not eliminating calls as much as we'd like to. And then change the outcome of that event by being smart on your deployment. So uh, response times is an, is an input on one, you know, uh, on one end of a logic model. It's an output on a different one, depending on the perspective you're looking at. Doesn't necessarily affect the outcome. So the metric is risk management and we need to look at outcomes. And I want to dovetail in, Bob, with the conversation here and say that what I feel like we're not yet doing in the fire service is what the rest of the world is doing. Recently had a had a family member going through a, an, an ordeal and the options are discussed with risk. This is too risky. We're not going to do this. We're going to do this. That's in the hospital setting. Why aren't we doing that more in the pre-hospital setting? If you look at any business, whether it be healthcare or pick a pick an industry, they make their decisions based on risk versus benefit. It could be only financial. If we're talking about private industry, we're talking about people, it's different. I just gave an example in the hospital that in the hospital setting, they are evaluating risk yet. On the pre-hospital side, we tend to be much more diffusive about risk and we send things, we just send things, right? And, and we have this somehow a different perspective on how we evaluate the deployment of our resources that are valuable. We're already seeing on the hospital side, just talked about, they got limited physicians, they have limited specialists. So they have to, they have to be much more precise when they allocate 
a surgeon, a respiratory therapist, a you pick it. Well, we need that on the pre-hospital side too. We need to be selective. We need to be thoughtful. We need to engage with the data. We need to use the data and stop saying that it just isn't so and make the appropriate and thoughtful decisions that are related to that information. And we're just not doing it. We send a unit out to everything. And what are we missing? See, that's, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit frustrating is we think that if we send all these units out, somehow we're reducing the risk because we show up. Yet we're not focusing in on a unit being assigned to a low acuity call for an exorbitant amount of time because it isn't a dire situation. And what calls are happening where the assigned unit would have been better placed in a different situation where the care needed was critical. And, and that's where I get, you know, again, I think that this is a, a huge challenge and I just want to see the fire industry fall in line with, with a lot of the law enforcement. Again, there's this constant reprioritization and, and it's not to say that the citizens aren't deserved of a police response for a non injury traffic accident. Of course they are. I think most reasonable people would agree that if there is a robbery in progress or an assault where there is injury that is imminent or a dangerous situation, that that's where law enforcement's going to go. And that's where the fire service needs to be, is continually reprioritizing, evaluating the risk, as you have said, Bob, reducing the risk of the emergent situation ever happening has to take precedence. And then finally, when we allocate those resources, we just have to be able to say, you know what? Yes, there is a risk in not sending a resource here. That is true. But the risk is greater of not having an available resource for this situation. And we just gotta we just gotta keep having that conversation. We're separating you know response time when it matters. Response time matters when it matters, but it doesn't always matter. And that's a degree of sophistication that we don't see a lot in, in response profiles, but we are seeing it more and more. We have the technology and we have the data sophistication. We have to use it. I don't want to dismiss the opposition to this argument. I think it's important that we recognize like a lot of chiefs think this way and are constrained by collective bargaining agreements, narratives, you know, la labor-based narratives. I mean, frankly, from a labor perspective, increasing supply has to be their right. That's their that's their position broadly. Broadly, I want to I'm going to generalize because there are many union leaders that see the risk to the community and want to see that solved because they're burning out their own folks, right? The the folks that that they represent, you know, through collective bargaining processes and the organizations. I mean, are just burned out from low acuity calls. So many have come to the table to be part of the solution on the demand side. But the conventional ideology is a, is a supply side solution for union. We just need more fire stations and more fire engines and more firefighters. And if you just hire city 25% more firefighters, we can reduce response times. We haven't solved the problem. We haven't reduced the risk. So it's, but that's a very legitimate constraint. That's a trade-off a lot of fire chiefs are facing. Uh, but the call to action is those that can should get to this degree of sophistication that you should be looking at this as a demand side issue, especially on the heels of tight budgets, 
especially on the heels of the inability to recruit and retain quality firefighters for these challenges we're hearing as we go across the country. Uh, the, the market is screaming at us to solve for demand side. And so we applaud Aurora for what they're doing. The other organizations that are doing the same thing that are getting to this sophistication. Like I said, we have the technology, we have the sophistication in the data systems, use it and inform your decision-making. The takeaway from this, this article I want fire chiefs to hear is your responsibility. First and foremost is to understand the risk in your community. You are a, you are the chief risk manager. That should be your job. You are managing your community's risk. You are managing your system, the system of resources to lower that risk. Doesn't always mean you go to all the calls. It certainly doesn't mean you go to all the calls quickly. You have to manage the system, right? Robust quality assurance checks, et cetera. I won't, I won't belabor that point, but that's, that's what I want chiefs to take away from this article. Start looking at risk, understand it, solve the demand, solve the demand, match supply to the demand. Show up quick when it matters and figure out something else when it doesn't. Right. It's the upstream approach that actually you've introduced me to, Chief Horton, and it's it's actually quite fascinating if people take the time to really look into it all. Thank you, Chiefs, for joining us today. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. A link to the article we discussed can be found in the show notes. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And if you have a question for the panel, please reach out to us at fireheadlines at wfca.com and let us know what's on your mind. And we'll see you back here next week for more Fire Headlines. Mm-hmm.